Hey, thank you. Okay, sweet. <laughs> All right, thank you. That's, that was that. Actually, I put him up to that. So, hey, listen, we're in the series uh, called Come and See, and here's the whole idea with this. Uh, we truly, as we enter into this season where we're talking about the Christmas story, this most phenomenal story, what we want to do is we just want to invite people to come and see. Like this is a real thing that happened. This is such an amazing story and it had, it's a historical event that has essentially marked our world in irrevocable ways. And so we want to just simply walk through the different places um, of this story. All right, so last week we talked about Mary and how this angel came to visit her in the city of Nazareth in Galilee. And so then we spent a, she spent a little time in a small town in a hill country of Judah. And we're going to talk a little bit about that next week or sometime where she came to visit Zechariah and her aunt Elizabeth. But today we're talking about Joseph. We're talking about his story. And it was rooted in the city of Nazareth. So I'm not as cool as Pastor Cam. I haven't been to the Holy Land. Um, but check this out. I have been given a mug from the Holy Land. And so uh, Marley, our student ministry leader at the Statesboro campus, shout out to you guys, miss you already. And in fact, I wore my purple shirt for the Statesboro campus because they are tired of me only wearing blue shirts. And so you're welcome. Okay, so, but I, I do not, I've never been to the Holy Land, but I do have a friend who went to the Holy Land and they brought me this cup. It says Holy Land, it even says Nazareth. So you don't even need proof that this is a real place. I have a mug showing you right here, and I'll let you guys, whenever you doubt, like, is this story real? Just look at the mug, and you'll be like, never mind, it's real, hallelujah. All right, so, um, but in many ways, that's what the scripture does for us. You know, we can't walk in the first century, but it's as if a friend of ours by the name of Matthew said, hey, I want to write you this story and I want to give it to you because I want you to see, I want you to have confidence in this story. I want you to trust what is going on, that these facts are real, that this actually happened. I want you to have confidence as you walk the Jesus life. And so our friend gives us this story. So if you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do because we need to walk through this. And I want to challenge you, engage the scripture on your own. All right. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter one. I'll wait only for like two seconds and then we're going to get started. Uh, but engage scripture on your own because, listen, when you leave here, you're going to be asking questions to yourself. You're going to go, where was that? That when it hit me, when Jesus became real for me, it's most likely when you open the word and all of a sudden things made sense. And so. Don't take anyone's word for it. You walk through it. This is a gift we've been given. And so walk through it on your own. We're going to pick up in verse 18. I think I'm going to slow down a little bit. I think I came out of the gate really fast. So we're going to slow down. Here we go. All right. Verse 18. Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So real fast. The context of Matthew 1, the context of the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew spends all this time walking through this genealogy. He walks through all of these 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from him to the Babylonian dispersion, then 14 generations from that until now. And so he walks through all these different names and here's how you would know and then says, in the context of these names, in the context of the history of God being at work and never forsaking his people, Jesus shows up. And so that's where we find ourselves. The context of this birth is in a long line 
of God being at work and leading his people, not leaving them, but leading them into salvation. And so that's where we start. And so this whole theme that we're in, the first chapter, the whole theme of it really is talking about these significant names that you find. And so I'm just going to hang with that theme. What are the names that show up in this passage? So the birth took place in this way. When Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that is talking about marriage, before they came together, she was found to be with child. If you stop right there, this is a crazy start to a story. And being found with child is just a fancy way of saying she was pregnant before she was married. And so, but then he adds this phrase, from the Holy Spirit. Hear this again from the first time. Your friend comes to you and says, hey, heads up, I'm pregnant and the Holy Spirit did this. Like this was the quintessential example of God made me. How'd you get pregnant? God made me. It's like, this was also the one legitimate example of where it's true. And so she comes to Joseph and says, hey, heads up, we got we to gotta talk. Um, I'm pregnant. God made me. And then verse 19, here's where we go. And her husband Joseph, being a just, and this word is dikaios, it's righteous, being a righteous man. He's unwilling, he's not desiring, he doesn't want to hurt her. Right? He doesn't want to shame Mary. He resolved to divorce Quietly. So the first name, we're going to talk about three names that Joseph receives from this passage. The first name is simply Joseph the Righteous. Joseph the Righteous. If you're taking notes, that'll be the first one. So there's a difference, though, between being right and being righteous. First, to be right means that you are obedient to the law. To be right means you're right by the law. To be righteous means you are obedient to the Lord. Sometimes you can be right by the law and not be right or obedient to the Lord. And so Joseph was trying to live this life where he was obedient to what the Lord said, regardless of what the law said, because it was in his right to have Mary stoned. It was in his right to shame her in his community. It was in his right to do all these things. And yet at the same time, he's a righteous. This is Joseph the righteous. He's not seeking his right. He's trying to figure out how am I obedient to God when it seems like my world just flipped upside down. And so the first name he gets is Joseph the righteous. Verse 20, here's what it says. But as he considered these things, you know, as someone who's devoted himself to righteousness, we're, by the way, we're, gonna, we're just going to take like snippets of this passage at a time. So for those of you who want me to just read the whole thing, I'm sorry, okay? We're just a <laughs> little bit, oh, and we're stopping. All right, here we go. Verse 20, the first five words. As he considered these things, so he devoted himself to righteousness. Notice that Joseph, how he responds. He doesn't just like impulsively lash out. Now, Granted, I wasn't there, so I'm not 100% sure what happened. I'm sure he went to a back room and let some words fly real quick. And then he walked back into the room, you know, and just was like, okay, you're going to have to give me some space on this one. But he, he took time and considered these things. He found a way, listen to this, to temper his emotions to the point where he could start considering the implications of the news that he had just received. Listen, when emotions are involved, your thinking goes out the window. 
And he knew this. And so he said, i got to hit a timeout on this. And he began to consider this. And so let's be honest. Think about some of these things that start to flood in. Confusion. Extreme sadness at this reality. This disorienting anger at the weight of such significant betrayal. Perceived or reality. Betrayal still feels the same. And here he is in this moment of feeling like the person he loved, he's trying to spend the rest of his life with, just flipped his world upside down. And Cam was telling me this earlier sometimes. So he gets credit for this next part. If you don't like it, it's his fault. So sometimes the difference between responding and reacting is like just take a breath. You know what I mean? Like take a deep breath. And it's the difference because reacting means that the environment sets the agenda. It means that you're a pinball of emotions between the circumstances that you find yourself in. But responding means you set the agenda because you stop and you think and even further you consider what would Jesus have done? What would he have me do in this situation? If you're a follower of Jesus, responding means you have to take that breath and take a step back and go, what is he going to have me do with this? This is the hand I've been dealt this round. What do I do now? And if you never stop and consider, like Joseph did, you never stop and consider the implications of the news you just received, you might miss it. So our family, um, we're a growing family. We now have four kids. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, we got four kids whom we deeply love and we like most of the time. So just, just good, solid parents right there in the middle, you know. So, <clears throat> but here's the question. Have you ever accidentally disciplined the wrong kid? Just show of hands, just real quick. Children's ministry, take note. All right. Um, I'm not saying we did or didn't, okay? I'm just asking and you outed yourself. So, um, <clears throat> but as a parent, you realize it's a whole lot easier than you think. You know what I mean? Some days I get so confused. I'm like, you know what, everybody, everybody line up right now. We're doing this, you know what I mean? <laughs> because you need it, and chances are, I didn't catch you do something, and so you deserve it anyway, you know what? Okay, if you're not a parent, you're like, this is mean, and you're like, you don't know, you don't have kids, they make you crazy. All right, anyways, sorry, back to the message. So anyways, so Lindsay and I, we, we just had to develop some habits, you know what I mean? Like, before anybody swings anything, it's like, what happened? You know what I mean? Like you, you both have to get on the same page. You have to hit pause and make sure that we, what is the full story here? What happened? I'm about to go in and lay the law down. Are we good? And, and, and so we just have to create that habit of always coming together as parents. And this is helpful for parenting for two reasons. One, it brings clarity. Oh my goodness, it's so confusing sometimes. So if you and your spouse are just on the same page, it resolves 90% of your problems. But here's the second thing it brings. It brings calm. Listen, it brings you to this place. You should never discipline from a place of anger. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust yourself to appropriately respond. And the same is true in any situation. You should never react out of emotion. You will rarely do what is right. You will rarely hit the target of what is righteous when you're caught up in some kind of emotions. And so you have to develop this discipline of saying, hey, we got to hit pause for a second. And we got to really consider this information. We got to get clarity. I got to get calm before we move on into this before I do anything. So here's a helpful question. I want you to write this down. But a key, key question 
to ask yourself in, your, in these tense moments of like considering, what do I do now? What do I do now? The key question is this. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? And let me just be clear. It is not saying, what does being nice require of me? I'm not interested in being nice. Sometimes we reduce love to being nice. It, it doesn't mean some romanticized lust that it's like, you know what, I'm just going to blindly just walk through everything. That's not what I'm talking about. Love, if I'm growing to understand this more and more, love might actually be the most difficult yet most powerful thing that we are called to do as God's people. Love God, love each other, love your enemy. That's hard. But the question that you have to ask when you stop and consider is, what does love require of me? In this moment where I'm a parent, or if you're in Joseph's situation, in this moment when I just began, I just opened the door to realizing that I have been betrayed, what does love require of me? That's a hard question. That rarely has an easy answer. And so let's keep, let's keep going. So, verse 20, as he was considering these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared. Thank goodness, because you can't consider things too long. You know what I mean? So, thank you. Okay, angel, I got it. We're on the same page now. All right. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Here's a second name. He is called Joseph, son of David. He's Joseph the righteous. But then the angel reminds him of a name. He reminds him of where he's come from. Isn't that helpful? He reminds him. Hey, listen, the author Matthew, he wants the reader to connect what's about to take place to God's work throughout history. Generations of men and women being used by God in his work of bringing salvation to the world. So Joseph, son of David, from a royal line, Joseph, from a long line of warriors, Joseph, listen, your family is well acquainted with difficulty and yet has responded with perseverance. Look at your story. Joseph, son of David, you're prepared for this. Look at your family. You know, this past Thanksgiving, uh, we were with Lindsay's family, my wife's family, and so you had that moment. You know, it's Thanksgiving. Everybody has to say at least one thing you're thankful for, and, which is actually a great practice. I don't want to make it sound like that's a terrible thing. It's a great idea. Okay, but th so the question was, tell us one thing your parents taught you that you're thankful for. Now, that was harder. That was a lot harder. I'm just kidding. I love my parents, and they're awesome. Okay, <laughs> so the question was, what, tell me one thing your parents taught you. Um, that you're thankful for. And so, I mean, you think of a lot of things, right? Man, I'm so thankful for how you provide, so thankful for love, thankful for these things. On the other side of raising kids, you become thankful for a lot more, you know? But one thing that came to mind was this idea of perseverance. Like, they showed me how to stand strong in hard times. You don't learn that from a book, right? You pick up certain things that help you last in difficulty. And here Joseph finds himself one of the hardest moments of his life and the angel says Joseph son of David the warrior king the man who slays giants you come from a good family he reminds him your people have crossed the Red Sea they've defeated giants they've endured captivity they've rebuilt cities listen they may not be perfect 
but they followed God and they are his. So Joseph, son of David, will you follow me now? So the angel speaks to him. The angels, you know, if you were here, we would tell you the same thing. It'd say your name and then mention your family and say, will you follow me now? Just like they followed me. Just like the line you came from. And so he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And so what would you actually be afraid of? This is the same fear you would experience, right? As soon as Jesus requires something difficult of you, if you're in the workplace and you're in the marketplace and he's asking you to follow him in the marketplace, you're first a citizen of heaven, you're first a son and daughter of the king, and then you also happen to live and work in the marketplace. And so when he calls you to follow him in the marketplace, it's a difficult thing. But he says your name, and he says, I've given you what you need to do this. If you're a student, it's the same thing. You're first a son, and you're first a daughter of the king and creator of our universe, and you happen to be a student. And so what do you have to be afraid of? Well, if you realize where you've come from, not much but if you forget those things inevitably fear runs into your face and so hear what the angel said to them do not be afraid God is at work so for that this is the angel talking to him don't be afraid to take marriage your wife for that which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit this is the hand of God at work man he's working he's present so don't miss that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's amazing to me that the angel first says, Joseph, son of David. He calls him by name, but then gives him the responsibility of naming the son of God. He calls him, you're this son, you're the son of David, but now I'm giving you this task. And in, in Joseph's day, naming your children was much more significant than it is today. Today, you know, we try to make it a significant process, but it typically gets reduced to like, what sounds cool and what can all my relatives actually pronounce? You know, that's kind of how, those are the two things that we dealt with in, in trying to name, you know. You can't be at a family reunion and then be like, oh, man, how, do you, how many R's are in that thing? You know, it's, it's a mess. But in those days, naming had significance. Names stood for something. And we'll get to this in a little bit. And, but here's what I think is kind of cool. In the beginning, and if you know this story, um, God created the world and everything in it. God's at work, and he invites Adam to play a role. He creates all things. He creates the world. He creates everything in it. And then he gives him the task of naming the animals. And so he does the same thing with Joseph. He, God is revealing and working out his plan of salvation for the world. And then he reaches over to Joseph and says, but I still have a role for you in this process. I want you to name the son of God. I want you to be the man who stands in the temple on the eighth day and say, this is my son and his name is Jesus. And so here's what happened. All this took place. We're going to pick up in 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if you know much about Matthew as he's writing, Matthew He's writing primarily to a Jewish 
Christian audience, Jewish followers of Jesus. And so he's always trying to make these connections between the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets and show that Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. You've been waiting for God to show up. He just has. Emmanuel is here. God is with us, and his name is Jesus. And so verse 24, when Joseph wakes up, I'm sure he had a moment of, did that really just happen? And then he's like, you know what? We're just going to go with it. This is already too weird. So he woke up from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So he took his wife, but he didn't know her until they had given birth. So he took her in as married. They took the final step. They got married, but he reserved and protected her purity until after birth. And then he called his name Jesus. One commentary said this, Joseph's obedience in completing his marriage to Mary and in naming Jesus is also indicative of his formal adoption of Jesus, and catch this, and hence the establishment of his Davidic lineage. Listen, Joseph, he was the righteous. Joseph, you know, the son of David, but here's the third name, Joseph, the obedient. Listen, by responding with humble obedience to the angel's instruction to name Jesus, he roots himself firmly in the center of God's plan by becoming the committed, adoptive father of Jesus and therefore the means through which he fulfills God's promise. Because God said to David, listen, there's coming a day when I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. And Joseph was invited to play this role. So once Joseph decided to stay with Mary, he was all in, right? He was the righteous, he was the son of the royal line of David, the obedient one who named the son of God. And Joseph was the guy who kept on doing things. He wasn't the guy who like reluctantly did things. He was the guy like, yes, I'm going to take Mary in as my wife. And yes, I'm going to protect her purity. And yes, I'm going to take on um, being the adoptive father of Jesus. He was, he was an and yes kind of guy. He responded in obedience. When God called him into this role, he said, yes, and what else? That was his personality. That's who he was. And I want to invite us to be the same kind of people, the ones who say, and yes, yes, and whatever else, Jesus, we're all in. When you call us, we're coming. You see, the way that Matthew wrote this part of the gospel story, so, and again, you know, there are probably four, not probably, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is telling um, his, his perspective on the story of Jesus. And he starts it in this way of saying, there's some pretty powerful names in this line. There's some pretty powerful names in this family. And Jesus is the one that has been leading all up to. You don't really hear too many genealogies after Jesus for some reason. Um, yeah, it'd be kind of pointless, to be honest. Um, but here's what I don't want us to miss. In this passage, we actually get a clear picture of, of what God was doing. Because if you notice, the prophet said, the child's name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. But when the angel came to Joseph, he said, you're going to name this child Jesus. 
which means Yahweh is salvation. And Yahweh was the personal name for God in the Old Testament. And so when he looks at his son and he says, you're going you're to name your son Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. So here's what I think this means. God is our greatest need. And so he came and him being near to us meant salvation is finally here. It is present. It's not just a way of salvation. It is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's this picture in Revelation 5. And it's Revelation 5. You've probably heard me talk about it because it's like one of my favorite songs. You know, if you have a favorite song, you just want to play it over and over and over because it just reminds you of something that's amazing. And Revelation 5 is this picture for me. So if you want to, you flip over there um, and you get the whole story. But here's the setting. Um, John, who's writing down the Revelation so that we could have it. He's one of the other cool guys in the New Testament. You should get to know him. Um, so he's writing this down. And there's a scene where God is seated on the throne and in his right hand he has a scroll. And then this angel, this massive <laughs> creature says, who can open the scroll? Who can take this scroll, open it, break its seals? And then they start searching the world for anybody righteous enough Anybody worthy to open the scroll? And then there's nobody. There's no one found. And so John begins to weep because there are words in the scroll that we've got to deal with. Somebody's got to break these seals. Somebody's got to take us to this new place. Somebody's got to provide salvation for us because we need this to happen. And then finally an elder comes up to him and says, man, stop crying. Stop weeping. Listen, there is one. Listen to what it says. There is one, the Lion of Judah. Picture it right now. Picture the Lion of Judah. That's why the words in Revelation are so symbolic. It's supposed to take you to a place where you picture the Lion of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy. So John turns around to see the lion and he sees a lamb that has been slain. How amazing is this? God with us is salvation for us and it's all wrapped in the person of Jesus Christ. How amazing is this story Here's the lion, this powerful king that we've been waiting for and praying for. The root of David whose kingdom is not going to end. And when you turn around, you see a lamb that has been slain. It doesn't make sense. But that's our God. Emmanuel, God with us, because we needed him to come. We needed a powerful king who could sort out the evil in our world. But when we look at him, what we see is the cross. The lamb who's been slain. The only one who can save. God with us is salvation for us. You see, Joseph played his role in God's plan. God came his name is Jesus and he is salvation for all people. And Joseph was asked, 
Would you be his father? Think of how absurd that is. But he came to Joseph, said, you know, you're a carpenter. You got strong forearms. You'd make a good dad. Joseph's like, oh, my goodness. He's, Would you raise him just to the best you know how? Would you play your part in continuing this story of a loving God, making a way of salvation for all people through Jesus? Would you do that? Would you step into the role that he's invited you in? The angel saying, Joseph, are you man enough to step into this role God has planned for you? God's at work in amazing ways. There's nothing beyond him. But at the same time, he invites Joseph to play a role. But here's the reality. We're not really talking about Joseph anymore. What about you? What is your role in Jesus' story? You see, Joseph lived in Nazareth, in case you forgot. He, he lived in a real place and a real time, but that time is gone. Today the question is, what is your role in this story what is he inviting you to do? In part, you're called to live a righteous life. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's invited you to be righteous. He gave you his righteousness, but he says live a righteous life. Not a right life, but a righteous one, knowing that you are part of a family of God. Your relatives are warriors. Your relatives know how to persevere in difficult times. Don't forget that. Your part is also to live in this obedient life regardless of the overwhelming calling that is put on your life. You don't think Joseph was afraid of the reality like, wait, let me get this straight. You want me to be God's dad. That's too much for him. And you might be looking at your story and you're going, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me you want me to step into this role? You want me to do this thing for your kingdom? He says, that's right. I'm at work. I'm doing something here. It's going to change the world. And you get the privilege of coming and sitting right next to me as we change the world and reveal the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done. His hand is going to make it true, is going to make it happen. And he says to you, will you now play your role in this story? We're not talking about him, a man from the first century. We're talking about you now, 21st century. Here, wherever you find your feet, he wanted you there. What is he inviting you to do in his great story? And the invitation is come and see. All right? So let's pray. Father, man, we're amazed. We're amazed that you're the Lion of Judah. No one can stop you. No one can stand against you. No one is a, above you. No one is before you. No one is beyond you. And yet, when we look to you, we're blown away at the cross. that you gave yourself 
And in your death, we get life. We're truly amazed. And I pray that we would gain deeper understanding of what you've invited us into. You know, we're looking at the names of Joseph and we're just like, man, that, that's such a strong guy who stepped into his calling. And we ask that your spirit would help us do the same thing. Help us to step into the calling we've been given to play this role in your kingdom. God, I pray that if there are people here who don't know you, that they would surrender. That they would stop fighting against you. That they would stop running from you. That they would stop carrying the hurt and hold that against you, but yet turn to you as the one who can heal. So have mercy. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.